Mark Angelay is an industry leader in psychotherapy and men's mental health. He's helped countless guys get back on their feet, deepen their relationships, and excel in their lives. Now he's taken all that he has learned and is sharing it with you. In each episode, Mark will interview an expert in the field of masculinity and men's work. We'll cover topics such as emotional intelligence, masculine identity, anger management, financial health, trauma recovery, marriage and divorce, ethics, and spirituality. Tune in and become a better man. Welcome back to the show. I'm your host, Mark Azoulay, and I'm here with Dr. Eric Corum. He has worked with NCAA uh, sports teams. He's a doctor of exercise science, and he's a founder of a company called AIM7 that uses health metric data to help people get recommendations to improve their lives. Eric, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, I'm excited to talk about this topic because I have a, a passion for using technology in mental health uh, and in physical health. And I love talking to people that are really on the cutting edge of combining that because I think a lot of guys, we need data <laughs> to make decisions. You know, we, we love that data driven stuff. We love the charts. We love the graphs. We love the recommendations. Yeah, I know 100%. Uh, guys are really drawn to seeing the the needle move. And if they can correlate an action they've taken to a, a data point that's been moved, it's easier to continue taking action. Yeah, it's one of the greatest motivators, right? You just see those numbers slowly tick up. I mean, really gamifies health. Yeah. Um, so before we dive into the product, I'm curious, tell us a little about yourself. Like what got you into this whole thing? Yeah, so I spent about 16 years, as you mentioned, working in college football and working in the NFL, I started as a traditional strength and conditioning coach on the human performance side. And then about 13 years ago, I pioneered the use of athlete wearables here in the U.S. So we were I was at a Florida State University, and we were the first group to ever track a football player in-game. So we had these devices that were on the pads of the players, and they were connected to GPS satellites, and we're collecting millions of data points and um, we were able to turn that data into actionable recommendations for our coaching staff, for our training staff and medical staff to improve performance, reduce injuries. And in one year, we had an 88% reduction in injury. Wow. And our team, yeah, our team went on to win a championship. And then uh, the NFL flew in and like, All right, what the heck's going on here? And it blew up. And now every single NFL game, NBA game, major league, all these games are tracked. Uh, AWS next-gen stats if you watch an NFL game and they're like, so-and-so is running 20 miles an hour. That's where it all started. So my background was in human performance, um, got into the wearable space. And then I really got obsessed with this idea of resilience and adaptation. Because what we started noticing is the best athletes in the world, um, I had also worked in Olympic track and field for about 14 years, they could adapt to a tremendous amount of physical and mental stress and thrive. They could take on a bunch of stress and thrive. And the best athletes in the world, you could just keep loading them up systematically over time and they'd get better and better and better versus, you know, even an athlete that was maybe a starter on the team, they would hit a a breaking point. And so I wanted to be able to build this capability into anybody. And so we call it adaptive capacity. How do you deliberately take on stress and get better? Yeah, that's really interesting to me, right? It, it reminds me of the concept of anti-fragility, right? The idea yeah. that 
right? Like with chaos and with more inputs, the system gets stronger. Mm -hmm. Sure. The, there's a simple recipe. It's you have to have the right dose of stress with the right dose of rest. You have to inoculate yourself to it. And there's really kind of five pillars for how you build adaptive capacity. Um, but And there's a crossover with the physical and the psychological. Uh, so physical training does have a general um, impact on psychological resilience. And so uh, these are called crossover adaptations. And so it's just a fascinating field. And now we're in a world where people are, have so much stress coming into their lives. And I think it's a fallacy to say that you can manage stress. You can't like nobody can man like okay we're about to end, enter an election year like can you manage all of that chaos yeah you can't no. make it go away right you can't no. just, like, tune it out yeah what you can do is you can build the capacity mm -hmm. to adapt to it you can have the right tools in place so you can harness your attention and direct it where you want it to be directed towards and then when these black swan events do happen or unexpected events happen somebody mm -hmm. rear ends your car that doesn't cause you to crumble, you can continue to moving forward. Yeah, that's really fascinating. You know, I, I want to bring you back to your time working um, with the athletes and you tell those two different types of people, right? And I'm curious, like, was there any predictors of the people that were able to have this adaptive capacity or was it, did you only really see that under fire in like a stressful situation? Uh, no, it's a trained ability. Yeah. Now, there are genetic limits to certain things. So for instance, certain types of humans can endure a ridiculous amount of psychological stress, right? Mm -hmm. Or stress uh, that's directed at the central nervous system for power and speed adaptations. But if you slowly inoculate people over time, they can handle a tremendous amount of volume. So, you know, um, there's a fallacy. People are like, you know, just be mentally tough. You know, like you should be mentally tough to everything. That's like bogus. I, I've worked with special operators and you could have, let's say, uh, somebody that just went through Q school and now they're like a Green Beret or whatever, right? Uh, but they've never jumped out of an airplane. And you were to just take them in a plane up to altitude and like put them at the edge of the door and like jump. They you, they would have a stress response. They'd freak out. Mm -hmm. But if you take them to Fort Benning, Georgia, and you take them to a jump school where they learn how to jump off a small, you know, 10-foot area into a, in a foam pit and they learn how to jump and roll. And then they slowly, they're like this, this tower that pulls them up to X height and drops them with a parachute and a little bit higher and drops them in a parachute. And then over weeks, they've been inoculated to that stress. And so when it's time to jump out of the plane, they can handle it. I think a lot of times we just jump two feet in and we wonder why we burn out or get injured or feel overwhelmed. Um, and, you know, then you're like, well, what about these crazy events that happen in life? Well, you should be slowly, deliberately taking on different types of stresses to build that capacity so you can thrive. Yeah, I really like what you're saying. And I think there's a really core concept in the masculinity literature, right? Is this idea that men grow through challenge. 
Mm -hmm. you know, and what I'm hearing you talk about is it's about that right amount of challenge. Mm -hmm. And I'm also hearing a real value of humility, right? This idea of like, look, I might not be able to jump out of a plane right now, but I'm able to do this jump school, right? Or, Hey, I might not be a all-star weightlifting athlete, but Hey, I can do assisted, you know, pull-ups or yeah. whatever, right? <laughs> like this idea of like really, really knowing yourself and meeting yourself where you're at in the, you know, with the goal of getting better. Mm -hmm. No, 100%. Yeah. I'm with you on that. Um, as a man, if you want to kind of shift to masculinity, yeah. you know, I, my view on masculinity was rooted in, uh, I guess you could say a spiritual worldview or, or a biblical worldview that mm -hmm. men are supposed to be providers and protectors. Uh, they're also artists and poets and there's a soft and tender side, and then there's a warrior type of side, you know? And so my worldview on what it meant to be a man was shaped by my faith. Um, and now as a father and a husband, it's like now it's really in practice, right? Because like, yeah. it's one thing to have a view on, you know, what it means to be a man and be, I would just say, a single man, where it's pretty much just the world revolves around you. Let's just be honest. Like you go to work, you, hopefully you're a good employee and a good colleague and you have your, you know, good to your family or loved ones. But then like, if you now have a family, like now things are ratcheted up another level. And how does masculinity play out with my wife? And how does masculinity play out with my children? I think it's like, it's a whole nother ball game. It's one thing to talk, like think about it. It's another thing to actually do it. Yeah. And to be, to be on all the time, right? I mean, when you have a family, they're always there, you know, and <laughs> especially your child, right? They're, they're just studying you so deeply and they're learning everything that they've learned about masculinity and about men from, from fathers. Um, I, I'm curious if, if a story comes to mind or anything comes to mind about the difference between those two ways of being. Yeah. I mean, what you just mentioned, I've actually been thinking about just the past couple of days. Yeah. Um, like, like always being on, or always being watched. Well, not just being watched, but it's being mindful of, okay, the, our, our natural inclination is to be selfish, mm. whether you know it or not. Like when, like I mentioned before, like before I got married, it was all about me. And then I got married all of a sudden I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm a scumbag. Like <laughs> I just think about myself all the time. Right. <laughs> and then, and then I had a child and I'm like, oh my gosh, I really am a bad person. Like. Mm. I have to care about somebody else, right? It's a forcing function. Well, we all just kind of, I, me personally, I'm a weird, like I love being around people, but I really need time alone. And it's a very weird, like I wouldn't say I'm an introvert and I would definitely wouldn't say I'm just an extreme extrovert. I'm just like right in the middle. And, um, and so when night, when the evening comes, my kids get home from school. I'm also towards the end of my day and guess what? I'm tired. And so the easy default is to just like, oh, let's turn on the TV or let's like just numb our minds. Mm -hmm. But I've been like trying to be very intentional about, I've got a almost 12 year old, an eight year old and a four year old. I got like six or seven years left with my older child. I've heard that like between the, you know, when you have a kid between the years one and 18, you have them for 18 years, right? Every day. And then after 18, let's say they go off, you're only going to see them for about one more year for the rest of life, 365 more days if you kind of add it up. That's a, it's a startling fact. Mm 
Yeah, of like combined time. Yeah, it's freaky. And yeah. so, especially if you really love your children. And so, like last night, I'm like, okay, um, my wife is actually the baseball coach. Uh, she was a former elite college softball player. So she coaches the eight year old. So I have the 12 and the four year old. I'm like, all right, we're going to eat dinner together. We're going to talk about like what they did and, you know, their likes and dislikes. And then, like, I'm going to play with one of them and then we're going to go on a walk together after dinner. Mm-hmm. To me, being a man is like sacrificing. And like, if you watch the best manly movies of all time, like the hero's always sacrificing something. Braveheart, you know, why am I thinking only Mel Gibson movies right now? Uh, Patriot, you know, whatever the most latest and greatest one is, it's like you're, you end up doing something for somebody else. And so I think that's where the rubber really meets the road and not losing yourself and your kids or losing yourself in your work or your whatever but at the same time, like really just giving. Yeah. I really love that idea. You know, I've been studying um, etymology recently and I was looking at the definition of the word hero, where it comes from. Mm. Right. And it's often mistranslated as the strength of two men. Right. You think of a hero, it's like, oh yeah, he's so strong. He's as strong as two people, right? You know, Captain America, Mm. Iron Man, whatever. Right. But what it really is translated to is the strength for two men. Right. The idea that a hero has strength for two people, right? More strength than just for himself. And it really made me associate when we were talking about this idea of giving and sacrifice and ultimately love, right? I mean, that's really what's mm-hmm. underneath it is the idea of having so much strength that you can give it to somebody else. I'm curious your your thoughts on that. Man, I'm taking notes right now. That's really strong. Um, and the only way to do that is if you have a reservoir to pour from. Yes. And so that's where this idea of capacity comes into play. Um, If you think about, so from a biological perspective, every day you only have a certain amount of capacity for stress, okay? And you can think about that as kind of like your gas tank. The bigger the gas tank, so like the bigger the gas tank, the more gas that can fit in that tank. So let's say you had a car and you're driving, you're in Colorado, I'm in Texas, and I'm going to drive and see you. As long as the car is in working order and I can keep putting gas in there, I'm going to be fine, right? Or if you have an EV, the size of the battery. Uh, But um, every day you wake up with a certain amount of gas in the tank. That's what like some of these devices, like say readiness, like you mentioned Whoop earlier or whatever. People don't, these, these companies do a very poor job of explaining what this actually means. It's like your adaptation reserves. And so if you can build a bigger tank, like let's say I had a bowl, right? And that bowl is my quote tank. And I, and all the stress I can adapt to is fill. It is, I pour into that bowl, it fills it all the way to the top. And I'm like, all right, Mark, you need to run across the room with it. You'd run across the room and just water's flying all over the place. Right. But if I give you a massive bowl that you can barely bit both arms around, I pour the same amount of water in it. You could like sprint up and down stairs and nothing's going to happen. Mm-hmm. You'd actually have a reservoir to pour from. So if to going back to this thing, if you want to be a hero, you got to have a big freaking tank. Yeah. And that there's a way to build that, you know, and there's five basic pillars, sleep, exercise, mental fitness, nutrition, and fostering healthy relationships. And the literature is very clear that these are the five ways to build stress resilience and more adaptive capacity. Yeah, I really, I really like that. And I want to dive into that on the other side of the commercial break, those different pillars. 
you know, and I want to, before we do that, I think talk about the, the developmental thing, right? Because you say that young men are selfish, which I agree, right? But I think another way to frame it using your model is it's we're learning how to fill our own tank and we're learning how to, you know, increase our capacity so that then we can do the next step, right? Of giving it to a child or giving it to our partner or giving it to our community or our church or, or whatever it is, right? Yeah. And I don't mean to be negative when I say selfish. No, no I think like- you're right. <laughs> I mean, you, we are a little bit, we're all, yeah. I think we're all a little bit selfish, but like, I mean, just be around a child, like I want a cookie and you say no, and they get all mad. Right. But it's more like you just only have one person to take care of. Yeah. Right. And so you're, that's just your reality. Mm-hmm. But if you can think about the future and what you're building towards, if, even if you don't have a family, what are you going to do for your community? Are you going to be a productive agent in society or is it just going to be about you? Um, I would say that that's an unfulfilling life. Um, if you've got some, if you've got some reservoir and you got something to give, you should give it. Help somebody else. Find somebody else you can serve and love on. Yeah, I, I fully endorse that. Right, and I think, you know, I think a lot of men in the current generation, young men, need to hear that. Because I think they feel unprepared for fatherhood and unprepared for marriage because they didn't do things like that. And I think, you know, athletics is probably the most traditional way, but I think, you know, service oriented is really good. You know, education is really good. Anything that kind of like forces you to build discipline and work on those pillars is critical so that when you do it that next stage, you're ready. Yeah, just work. Yeah, just work. (laughs) Work hard, right? Show up. Um, For anything. It could be a robot project. It doesn't matter. Yeah, you know, I've got a one. I got one son that's an athlete. The other one's more of an engineer, and both work hard just to different things. Yeah, yeah, just like applying oneself right to to just you know reality. Um, so we're gonna head to our first commercial break. When we come back, I want to dive into those five pillars that you talked about and how your product and app really give recommendations and track those uh, with a certain emphasis on the mental fitness uh, component. Yeah. Um, so if you're hanging on in there, we'll see you on the other side. Voice America at Facebook.com forward slash Voice America for juicy updates from your favorite radio shows and podcasts. Men's Therapy Online is now accepting new members. Men's Therapy Online offers a solution to the lack of outlets for emotional expression, positive role models, and access to meaningful milestone experiences. In our post-COVID world, loneliness is at an all-time high. Men need consistent community. Our society is rapidly changing. Old models of masculinity are falling at the task of promoting emotional intelligence and meaningful connection. Men's Therapy Online offers tools and experiences designed to help the man who is struggling to balance traditional male roles and emotional fluidity. Whether you need to get back on your feet or take your life to the next level, Men's Therapy Online has your back. We help our members become a true 21st century man. A man who is not burdened by the rapid change of society, but who contributes to it honorably. If you're interested in signing up and finding your band of brothers, go to menstherapy.online to learn more. That's menstherapy.online. Start your journey today. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness.
You are listening to the Men's Therapy Podcast with Mark Azalay. To reach the show today, please call 866-472-5791. That's 866-472-5791. Or send an email to podcast at menstherapy.online or visit www.menstherapypodcast.com. Now, back to the Men's Therapy Podcast. Welcome back to the show. I'm here with Eric Quorum, the founder of AIM7, a fitness and mental health and capacity wearable um, and tracking app. And we're talking about ways to increase your adaptive capacity, which I think is huge, right? This idea that you put forward of having a large gas tank, um, having so much capacity that you can, one, deal with the stress of your life, right? Deal with the complex stress. And two, in some ways, maybe more importantly, give it to your family, your community, your church, whatever it is. So as we dive into this next segment, you have your pillars uh, that you want to talk about that really define how to grow capacity. Yeah. Uh, so there's sleep, exercise, mental fitness, nutrition, and fostering healthy relationships or having a community. And I think I mentioned before, the, the scientific literature is very clear that if you engage in these things at certain thresholds, not only do you increase your resilience, but you increase your longevity, your health span. And so we could take on the first one, which is sleep. That was my doctoral work was in sleep. Mm -hmm. And uh, I was just fascinated by it because there's only a few things that without it, you die, right? Water, <laughs> food, and sleep. And so it's like, I wonder how this impacts our ability to adapt to stress. And it is like, it's the anchor. Um, you, If you want to somebody, you're a psychotherapist. If you want to like just tear somebody apart, you, you deprive them of sleep. Oh, yeah. You get you, you hallucinate after like two or three days. It just breaks. absolutely. That's why like Hell Week for seals, yeah. or you go to Sears School and they sleep deprive you. You just start going nuts. Mm -hmm. Start seeing stuff. But there's so many biological processes that happen during sleep. As a matter of fact, it's we've yet to fully be able to elucidate like what exactly is going on. Um, there's a theory that just came out about criticality. If somebody's just a aficionado, go Google. Go Google that. It's fascinating work that just came out um, in the field of neuroscience. But we know several things happen when you sleep. Um, number one, uh, your immune systems are strengthened. As a matter of fact, you create something called immunological memory. So you're either adapting to stress or you're maladapting. If you're adapting, you're getting better. If you're maladapting, you're getting sick or injured, or eventually you will die if you can't adapt to stress. That's just kind of how it works. And so when you uh, stress, by the way, it's really important to understand this. Stress is not the enemy. It is the gateway to growth. Stress is your brain and body preparing you to do something effortful. Mm -hmm. There are times when you need this turned on. But sleep, you want these systems dialed down. Cortisol goes down. You create immunological memory. Basically, your body can kind of go, oh, these are foreign invaders that I fought off during the day. And it really does some cool things to kind of remember those things. Uh, your endocrine system is really kind of dialed in. So for men, most of your testosterone is released during sleep, specifically during REM sleep, the later phases of sleep. Um, if you, so after 30, our sleep, I mean, our testosterone degrades about 1% per year. There's things you can do to mitigate that. But if you were to deprive yourself of sleep to about five hours or less per night for just one week, you would age yourself over a decade in the terms of testosterone. You'd experience a 10 to 15% drop in sleep. Um, and so there's a lot of guys looking at testosterone replacement therapy right now. If you just get your sleep dialed in, 
you know, they can have a tremendous impact on your testosterone levels. It impacts your hunger hormones called leptin and ghrelin, cortisol levels. Um, there's a hormone called growth hormone that's released during early slow wave sleep, which helps your tissues regenerate. Something that's very fascinating that we've started to understand about in the past 15 years is there's something called a lymphatic system in your body. It's kind of this metabolic drainage system. Your brain doesn't have a lymphatic system. It has something called a glymphatic system that was just discovered, like I said, in the past 15 years. And essentially what happens, this system is only active during sleep. And during this time, uh, cerebrospinal fluid goes up in your brain, kind of sloshes around, and then it drains out metabolic waste products, some of which are associated with neurodegenerative diseases like Alzheimer's disease and dementia. Mm -hmm. So it's hypothesized that you ever like have a great night of sleep and you wake up and you're just like, oh man, I feel awesome. My brain's clear. I just Everything's great. Some days you wake up, your brain's foggy, you know, like you're just kind of, ugh. It's because your brain is literally full of crap. That's fascinating. Yeah, that's it, interesting. Yeah. yeah, it's and so you, if you look at the, the data, Alzheimer's disease is significantly increased in the population. At the same time, we're seeing plummeting sleep durations. The average American sleeps around six and a half hours a night, which is not an adequate amount of sleep. So as we see sleep go down, neurodegenerative diseases are going up. A lot of neuroscientists, now that we understand about the glymphatic system, they're like, look, here's some causality here. You're not getting rid of these metabolic waste products and tau and amyloid beta are building up in your brain. Well, these are causes for neurodegeneration. Um, so, you know, regarding sleep, there's just really three things to pay attention to. When it comes to wearables, do not look at deep and REM sleep. That stuff's not even accurate. Um, the, the research demonstrates that it's the best wearable on the market, the Aura Ring, is only 79% accurate compared to the gold standard polysonography. So you should only be focusing on duration, so how much, and seven to nine hours per night is ideal. Mm -hmm. um, it takes the average person about 20 to 30 minutes to fall asleep. So if you're like, oh, I'm going to bed at you know uh, 11 and I'm waking up at six, that's not seven hours. It's more like six and a half. So you need about a half an hour longer of time in bed to reach that kind of critical threshold. The next thing, which is really interesting, is consistency. There's a, a, a paper that just came out about sleep consistency being a great predictor for cardiovascular disease. Uh, so there's something called social jet lag. It sounds just like, it's just like the feelings of regular jet lag. But let's say you sleep a certain way Sunday night through Thursday night. And then Friday and Saturday night, you like, you know, I'm going to stay up to one and then watch Netflix and then I'm going to sleep until 10. Like what happens is, is your circadian biology gets a little disrupted. So by the time Monday comes around, you feel like garbage. And so this having a consistent sleep schedule will help prevent cardiometabolic disease, uh, prevents depression, weight gain. And then the last thing is when you go to bed. Uh, there was a paper uh, done by the Broad Institute at MIT and Harvard. They looked at over 600,000 people in the UK biobank. And the University of Colorado participated in the in study. There you go. Um, where they found that shifting the midpoint of your sleep back one hour. So let's say you go to bed at 1 a.m. and you shifted it back to 12. There was a 23% reduction in the risk of major depression. Wow. 
Yeah. You shifted it back another hour, they found it was almost 40%. And why? Because people that go to bed earlier and wake up earlier get more natural sunlight exposure, which is the anchor for your circadian clock. So fascinating stuff. So sleep is, is definitely one that you want to pay attention to. Um, another one is exercise. You know, I won't go into a ridiculous amount of detail, but being physically fit and having a healthy body improves resilience by blunting stress reactivity. Um, it also helps develop psychological stress resilience because here's the deal. Stress is a general, there's multiple systems, basically three systems that are involved, but it's a generic response. So when I uh, have a difficult conversation with somebody, my sympathetic nervous system is cranked up, my HPA axis, I start activating glucocorticoids, et cetera, et cetera. It's the same process when you exercise. So when you exercise, you are literally practicing turning on the stress systems and turning them and dialing them down. Mm -hmm. And so the literature is pretty clear. You need about 150 to 300 minutes of heart rate elevated exercise per week and two total body strengthening sessions per week. Uh, it can be whatever type of resistance training you want. But there was a really cool paper that just came out that showed if you do those two things, you reduce your risk of all-cause mortality by 41 to 47%. Big numbers. So it can be whatever you want. You like rowing to get your heart rate up, great. You like to ride your bike, phenomenal. Uh, but you need to exercise and get your heart rate up for a consistent period of time, and you need to do resistance training. It's kind of annoying for people right now, and we can add steps into this equation too, because people are like, why do we want to track our steps? Like a hundred years ago, we were just active, right? Like yeah, the world was a very different place. You had to just walk to go places, right? And we <laughs> weren't physical knowledge jobs. workers. Yeah. We, were, we weren't cranking away on our keyboards yeah, to exactly. make money. Yeah, and so, yeah. yeah, and so like there's there's the aerobic exercise, there's resistance training, and then walking. Walking, you need to hit around, the magic number seems to be around eight to 9,000 steps a day for reducing risk of cardiovascular disease, all-cause mortality. And you know, as a psychotherapist, that one of the best ways to help you process a difficult situation is getting into optic flow. Mm -hmm. So whether that's riding a bike outside or walking outside or roller skate, whatever, it helps dampen the fear response, helps you process information. So exercise is critical. Um, community, I think this is, as we look at the post-pandemic world, you're going to start seeing a lot of literature coming out about the effects of isolation um, just because of COVID. But there was a paper that came out in the British Psychological Society recently that points out that greater social connectedness during lockdown periods was associated with less worry, fatigue, lower perceived levels of stress. They basically provided a buffer against poor physical and mental health outcomes. And so we need to stay connected to people. Um, a paper that came out of the University of Kansas in the past year demonstrated that just one meaningful conversation per day significantly lower stress, boost your mood, enhances social connectedness. So just like, I'm going to sit down and listen to a friend. I'm going to catch up with a buddy and we're going to joke around and have a good time. Um, 
And what's interesting about this paper is that they found that face-to-face communication was significantly more effective than digital communication, DMs and texts. Mm-hmm. And then the last thing I would say is this, there's, um, we don't have time for this, but our understanding of stress has dramatically changed in the past 20 years. And there's something called allostasis and allostatic load. If you're interested, go research it. But I was looking at paper on how papers on how we can better manage this these stressors that come into our life. And something interesting popped up. There was a study with over 5,400 people across 18 years that that regularly attended a faith community. And they found that there was a 55% reduction in all-cause mortality with people that had regular attendance in a faith community when they controlled for socio-demographic, clinical, and laboratory factors. Here's the point. It doesn't didn't talk about what faith or anything like that, but if you think about the commonalities between like faith groups is they meet on a regular basis. There's typically some level of accountability to other human beings, mm-hmm. and then they share their burdens with one another. Mm-hmm. And whether you're a person of faith or not, that is really important to thriving as a human being. And so this idea of community is is critically important. And the la- and then before we get into the last one, I, I, we'll touch on nutrition for just a second. I know that can be like a very hotbed issue with people. Like, hey, you know, I like to eat a certain way, and you know, there's like there's keto and there's carnivore and there's like, so many options. Yeah. Here's here's the basic deal: eat an anti-inflammatory diet. Mm-hmm. Like. If you want to adapt to stress, you have to create the conditions for adapting to stress, okay? If your body is in a constant state of inflammation, it's not going to, it's going to be mobilizing resources to deal with all of that and not the specific stressor that you're taking on. Mm -hmm. And so most of the literature out there that kind of points to like, is there kind of an ideal diet-ish? It's kind of this Mediterranean diet, which is just, you know, multicolored fruits and vegetables. So we got a lot of people right there. That's totally fine, whether you're a vegan or not, or vegetarian. Um, Nuts, grains, or nuts, uh, oils, uh, different, you know, healthy fats. Um, You need protein for sure. You know, if you're a vegetarian, you're just going to have to eat a lot of vegetables to get it. But if you don't hit a certain protein threshold, your body's going to start breaking down muscle protein, and that is not good. Um, Whether you like to eat fish or not, fish oils are phenomenal for uh, preventing neurodegeneration, helping with cognitive health, reducing depression. Um, And there was a really cool paper that just came out recently on, so there's a new field emerging called chronobiology which is like, does the timing and types of food that you eat, is there a relationship to a 24-hour day? And there is with two things that we're starting to see. One is protein intake. Uh, and the other is, is um, if you eat your last meal after 9 p.m., the later your last meal is, the higher your risk for cardiovascular disease. Mm-hmm. And there seems to be, like people talk about intermittent fasting, it's kind of like you would almost want to like eat earlier in the day yeah, and stop eating, you know, by six o'clock and at least having a 12 hour period where your body's not having to take in food and your blood sugar isn't elevated can significantly impact your ability to adapt to stress. So those are the first four. 
there's so many layers to go into that, but there's basically just a couple tenants for each. If you just kind of can hit these thresholds, you are setting yourself up for building a massive tank. Yeah, I think that that's really great. I think you did a phenomenal job of like really highlighting those and some of the key things for people <laughs> there's to a lot. look at and watch out for. And there's a lot. Yeah, there's a lot of research there. Um, you know, in our next segment, we'll really dive into mental fitness. But I'm curious with the remaining time, you know, where people can learn more about these different pillars, right? They yeah, really so dive in and get good information because I think that's a key point, right? There's so much yeah. bad information out there. I have a newsletter called Adaptation. Um, so if you want to follow me on social media at Eric Corum on pretty much any platform, but if you go to my website, ericcorum.com, um, there's a newsletter link there. We'll, we'll, I'll get that to you. You can send that to you. Actually, we're, the site's under construction. So if you just go to one of my social media handles, I send people every Friday, like tips for how to be more adaptable. Um, and then we've embodied that in our technology aim seven, which you can talk about later, but I try to just bring people like actionable research that's coming out unbiased. I don't have a slant in one of these camps. I'm just like, let's just help people. Yeah, I, I think that's great, right? Because there's some people that are trying to like push their particular trend or their particular, you know, solution, silver bullet to it. Yeah. Um, yeah, for listeners, all those links will be in the show notes. Uh, you can follow Eric on that stuff and learn more about him um, and what he does. We're going to move to our next commercial break. And when we come back, we're going to do a deep dive on mental fitness, which is that fifth pillar um, and really relevant to a lot of our listeners. And Eric, if you can think of some takeaways that people can do if they want to make maybe one easy change or, or high mm -hmm. leverage change in each category, what some of the guys that are listening could, could do um, to start seeing results right away. So if you're listening, hang on in there and we'll see you on the other side. America is on LinkedIn. Connect with us today. Men's Therapy Online is now accepting new members. Men's Therapy Online offers a solution to the lack of outlets for emotional expression, positive role models, and access to meaningful milestone experiences. In our post-COVID world, loneliness is at an all-time high. Men need consistent community. Our society is rapidly changing. Old models of masculinity are falling at the task of promoting emotional intelligence and meaningful connection. Men's Therapy Online offers tools and experiences designed to help the man who is struggling to balance traditional male roles and emotional fluidity. Whether you need to get back on your feet or take your life to the next level, Men's Therapy Online has your back. We help our members become a true 21st century man. A man who is not burdened by the rapid change of society, but who contributes to it honorably. If you're interested in signing up and finding your band of brothers, go to menstherapy.online to learn more. That's menstherapy.online. Start your journey today. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. You are listening to the Men's Therapy Podcast with Mark Azalay. To reach the show today, please call 866-472-5791. That's 866-472-5791. Or send an email to podcast at menstherapy.online or visit www.menstherapypodcast.com. Now, back to the Men's Therapy Podcast. Welcome back to the show. 
I'm here with Dr. Eric Coram, and we're talking about mental fitness, which I think is a, a huge thing. And I'm excited to hear, you know, your thoughts on it, and also how your app Aim Seven tracks that, because I think it is a really cutting edge thing to have technology interface with mental health. So I'm really excited to hear, you know, what developments are in that space. Yeah. So mental fitness, I think, I think you're going to start seeing instead of mental health, you're probably going to see more of this term being used yeah. for a lot of people. Um, and I think because it's a trainable thing to an extent, mm -hmm. right? There's always pathologies and things like that, just like in, you know, any other, you know, physical health, whatever. But mentally fit, we kind of, we've kind of blended something called psychological flexibility into this mental fitness kind of bucket. But it's the ability to be consciously present and to process information without bias. This empowers you to respond quickly and rationally to changing circumstances through committed actions anchored in your values. So let's just think about what that means. Um, you're in a, okay, I'm a father of three kids. Uh, it's the end of the day. I'm tired. One of my kids said something to me and maybe it, I don't know, ramped me up a little bit. And I, I snap back at him. And then I'm like, oh, that's not, that's not how I wanted to respond. Mm -hmm. You know, the, our biggest failures are when we don't act in a way that we believe is aligned with our values. And a more mentally fit person, just like a physically fit person, can take on a lot of stress and they just keep moving. They keep moving. A mentally fit person is going to be able to be present in the moment and have stuff coming at them. And then no matter how much that would typically ramp them up, they can go, hmm, okay, this is what's happening. And I'm going to be able to respond now in a rational way that's really anchored in who I am. And there's this myth, you know, I worked with elite athletes. I worked with multiple Olympic gold medalists. I've worked with NFL Super Bowl champions. You know, there's kind of this myth that the best in the world don't experience uncomfortable thoughts, emotions, and feelings. And that is just completely false. Mm -hmm. um, there is a, a an Olympic cyclist. His name is Sir Chris Hoy. He's the greatest cyclist ever. I think he had six Olympic gold medals, if I'm if I'm not correct. Um, and if I'm correct, and he somebody asked him what it felt like to race in an Olympic finals, and he said it felt like I was going to the gallows. Mm -hmm. Like he was going yeah. to die. <laughs> terror, right? Terror. Yeah, absolute terror. What yeah. most people don't realize is yeah. most people do not have a personal record or run their best race in the Olympics. They just utterly tank. Yeah. But this is what he said. Now remember, this is the greatest cyclist of all time. But then he said, but then I would shift my attention to my hands gripping the steering wheel or my feet in the clips or my butt in the seat. And so what he was doing is, is I've got all these uncomfortable feelings and I feel like I'm going to die and throw up and all this kind of stuff, but I'm harnessing my attention and now I'm directing it to where I want it directed at right now. And then I'm going to take an action. And so uh, my friend, Dr. Peter Haberl says that attention is the currency of performance. Mm -hmm. And that's essentially what we all want is control of our attention and then the ability to make an action that's anchored in our values. And so one of the best ways that you can train this capability is mindfulness. Mm 
Now, mindfulness for a lot, for some people, they're like, is this like a religious thing? No. Okay. It's like, it's essentially bringing your attention to some type of physical sensation. That's one way of doing it. It could be breath work. It could be just closing your eyes and focusing on your breath. The inhalation, the exhalation. And then the real magic happens when your little monkey brain kind of drifts off and you go, oh, I'm not present right now. And you kind of bring it back. Um, I was just going back and forth with a coach who randomly reached out to me on a direct message on Twitter and he's or X, whatever you call it now. And he's like, I'm, I'm just kind of have a hard time with this. I'm like, have you tried mindful walking? He's like, what's that? I'm like, just walk and just focus on the, your foot rolling across the ground. It's really hard. Um, maybe it's mindful eating. And just take, could you actually sit there and eat a meal and just focus on the food itself and chewing? Um, practicing this is like a superpower. Once you start to be able to notice where your mind is at, it, it has significant impact on rumination, uh, reduces mind wandering. Um, there was a recent paper that demonstrated that consistent, it was actually pr uh, published in JAMA Psychiatry. That demonstrated that mindfulness was just as effective in reducing anxiety as anxiety symptoms as the commonly prescribed anti-anxiety drug Lexapro. Um, now they did a lot of mindfulness. Uh, it wasn't just like five minutes, but it's very interesting. Um, one of the most fulfilling things that we can do is deep work, where we're just fully engulfed in one thing, one task. Our mind's not all over the place, and training mindfulness allows us to get into that you know, flow state or whatever you want to call it. And so there's multiple different mental fitness tools you can use. Mindfulness is one of them. Breath work is another for regulating stress, but it's also mindful if you really think about it because you're having to breathe in a cadenced way. Um, so I would say those are two of like my favorite tools. Also like gratitude journaling. Um that's been a powerful tool for me, especially in periods of time when I feel my mood is starting to kind of wane. I'm just not in a great mood. I don't know if you've ever done a big three journal, but like you sit down and you maybe think of like, what's the best thing that happened today? And then you actually try to relive and experience the emotions and feelings of that moment and write it down. Maybe you had an interaction with a colleague or a spouse or a friend or Maybe nothing great happened to you, but maybe you found some beauty in the weather or the sunset or something like that. There's a lot of different things that we can do to improve our mental fitness, but I think the one thing that we should be fighting for is our attention. Yeah, I think that's that's critical, right? And I think if I can just underline what you're saying to our listeners out there, it's like you can actually change your brain and you can change your perspective and you can change your reality. You know, and, you know, I'm a meditation teacher. I was trained in more Buddhist traditions, but there is this idea of, you know, it's not about staying focused and not thinking. I always want to say that when people talk about mindfulness, it's about coming back, mm -hmm. you know, and for a lot of the athletes out there, like that, that's your rep, right? Like you're just doing a rep mm -hmm. every time you get distracted and come back, get distracted, come back. So you're practicing that coming back. It's not about not being distracted. Um, so I like adding that component because I, I think it's critical and like being able to harness your attention and your focus is like you said it's a superpower it lets you not freak out in moments it lets you really pay attention when it's really important to 
And it lets you kind of actually see and pick up more subtle layers of experience, which can sound kind of woo-woo, but really it's like you're going to notice things that literally you did not notice before, where they'd be like moments of beauty or micro expressions on people's faces or eye contact, because we're often very scrambled, especially in modern society when there's all this phone stuff and, you know, our eyes like very rarely actually lock on to things. There's all these, you know, studies that do eye tracking when they look at people um, in their natural environment and our eyes are just like bouncing off the walls going crazy because we're not able to actually just focus and look at something, which is crazy to think about that we've in some ways lost our ability to look at things. Um, <laughs> right? <laughs> like, seems pretty fundamental, but mindfulness is, is really critical in building some of those skills. Um, so I, I'm curious, how does AIM7, how does your app incorporate that? How does it track that? Um, what's the role of technology in building mental fitness? Yeah, so we, we're hardware agnostic. So we connect to your Apple Watch or Fitbit or Garmin, whatever. And we do a couple things. One, we, we can assess how you are globally adapting to psychophysiological stress not just through the data coming through the device like HRV, but we actually take you through a very short, what we call uh, calibration every morning. So about 60 to 90 minutes after you wake up, you take about 20 seconds, 30 seconds, and we ask you very specific questions about your mood, your energy, your sleep, your stress, your soreness, your motivation. Um, what this does is it actually starts to develop something called interoception, where you're starting to better understand what's actually going on inside of me and then our algorithms combine all this data and we're like, here's exactly what you should do each day for your mind, body, and recovery to build more adaptive capacity. So from an exercise perspective, the exact type, intensity, and duration of exercise that you can adapt to. Um, we have resistance training protocols that are adapted ev every single day, the volume and intensity. So you're not just chronically like just burning yourself out. Um from a mental fitness perspective, it's like the precise tool at the right time. So if you're really stressed out, we'll send you a specific breathwork tool. Or maybe you're low on energy, we'll send you a very different breathwork tool. Mm -hmm. Or maybe mindfulness tool. Maybe we have all sorts of mindful walks, mindful watching the sunrise, like really cool stuff, six sense noting that you can add to. We have you these little like morning routines that you can create based off of your schedule. Where it's like, oh, do you want us to notify you when the sun comes up to get some sunlight? Cool. When you do that, would you like to do a three-minute mindfulness session with Dr. Haberl on a sunrise? You see what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. And then we also do this for sleep and recovery. So we not only make recommendations for how long and the different things, but then we have these this masterclass library to teach you how to do each one of these things. So it's not just recommendations, which is great. It's not just data points. But then we close the loop with coaching and a plan for you. So this is really a holistic health and wellness system that, to my knowledge, has never really been all of these things wrapped into one app for folks. And so that's my passion. Uh, that's why I left professional sports to build this and to help, you know, people like you and me that want to be better versions of ourselves, that want to be the best men that we can be, consistently adapt to stress and show up in an authentic way. Yeah, I, I love that, right? I, I love how personalized it seems to be, right? How customizable. And there's this great, you know, Marcus Aurelius quote, right? Stoic philosopher, where he says, um, the soil doesn't lie, right? And he talks about, in the terms of masculinity, this idea of like getting your hands in the soil, working with something physical. And I think in the modern world, it's data, right? So there's a way that like, if you're actually making life changes based on real data, it can't lie, right? You can't like fudge it. You can't, you know, exaggerate it. You can't minimize it. It's like, this is where you're at. 
And I think that type of like very clear feedback, I think men are hungry for it. You know, it can be, it can be, you know, humbling at first, but I think ultimately, I think we're really hungry for like knowing where we um, rank, you know, and knowing what our stats are. No question. Yeah. And it leads to these great, um, great improvements. So yeah, Eric, we are at our time. I'm so happy to have you on the show. I think you really did a great job, like overviewing all these different pillars of strength and pillars of um, adaptive capacity. So as you're wrapping up, where can people learn more about you? Where can they find you online? Yeah. So I do have a podcast called The Blueprint, and we basically distill cutting edge science, leadership, and life skills in a very short 15-minute episodes. So like, think of it like Huberman Light. You know, instead of listening to two hours on all these protocols, we just try to give it to you in 15 minutes. So if you want more kind of the science behind this, that would be a great place. It's called The Blueprint. Um, you can also connect with me on Instagram, LinkedIn, or Twitter at Eric Corum. And then that adaptation newsletter, every Friday I send you um, three tips for mind, body, and recovery to build uh, more stress resilience. Fantastic. Yeah. And the product is AIM7. AIM7. Yes. It's AIM7. It's in the app store and you can go to AIM7.com, AIM7.com and sign up for it there. So would love for you to try the app. Uh, We've almost got a thousand people using it now. We just released it in September. It's growing. It's an amazing community of folks. So I'm very thankful to be on the show today and have the opportunity to share about this. Fantastic. Well, thanks so much for joining us. And to our listeners out there, if you feel like this has been helpful for you, please share it, like it, give us a five-star review, send to somebody, send to some guy who really wants something holistic that they can just get into, right? I think with the new year still, you know, fresh behind us, this is a great time to start really like understanding uh, your mind, body, and spirit. And I think um, just share it around, right? Uh, Try it out. So thanks so much for tuning in. And we'll see you next week, another episode of the Men's Therapy Podcast. Thank you for joining your host, Mark Agile, on the Men's Therapy Podcast. Be sure to tune in again live next Wednesday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time and 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel and anywhere podcasts are found. To support the show, leave a review on your favorite podcast platform. For more information or to apply to be a guest, visit www.menstherapypodcast.com.